I'm not the best. I just believe that I can do things that people think are impossible. Anderson Silva. You want to fight? We'll give you a fight. Welcome to Fightcast. That's true. Worse than one, I know. Sailor doesn't swear. Yeah? Do you know many sailors? Just the one. Okay. Just the one. Well, we are here. Uh, Hello, everybody. We've been recording for a couple of seconds now. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's a good start. Now you're awake. Welcome to Fightcast, everybody. Um, I am here with two very special guests from Six Elements Theater Company. I am here with Johanna Gorman Bear and Mike Lubke. Yo. The um, I, I, we could call you pretty much the creative duo behind the show Human Combat Chess. I mean, could we not? Well, I'm newer to the creative side of things. Yeah. Mike Lubke here was the one what dreamed it up. Indeed. Yeah, and I say if you had to narrow it down to two people, I would say that we would be the creative duo. Yeah. Indeed. A, and uh, full disclosure for the uh, um, long time, I guess, Fightcast listeners, the. You know, the three episodes having been up on SoundCloud now for only like a couple of weeks now. But the beginning. For those of you back For my thousands. millions of fans, millions of adoring fans, dream big, Dave, dream big. Um, uh, full disclosure, I am in this show. Uh, I am very happy. Uh, rehearsals are going very good. Um, and uh, I urge you to come see this show because you can see all three of us. Um, so that should be impetus enough. Uh, but I guess my first question for you, Mike, would be uh, how did this whole shebang kind of get started? I mean, and I would call it a shebang. I think if any show could be called a shebang, this it'd be this is the one. shebangiest show I've worked on. <laughs> um, There's some shows in Amsterdam that might be a little bit more shebangier, but... We have yet to breach into that yeah, market. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, it started uh, sort of apocryphally um, back in 2009. Uh, I was uh, in search of a senior project for my BA in theater at the University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And... The setup was basically, you know, do a project that emphasizes the thing you like about theater. And at the time, I was really huge into stage combat. Mm-hmm. At the time. Wow. <laughs> Even then. Even sure. then. There, that's the phrase. Even then. Um, days of yore. Uh, so I decided to put together a human chess show because I wanted to choreograph a whole bunch of fights. And at the time, I just needed some sort of loose framework to make people want to watch all of the fights. Mm-hmm. And I had watched the human chess show that had gone on at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival. Yep. Um, I grew up watching that show, and it was one of the coolest things ever. And around... It, they had been on sort of a hiatus <laughs> semi-permanently for about yeah. four to five years by the time that I was putting okay. this together. But of course, surprise, surprise, creative endeavor in the Twin Cities links back to Renaissance Festival. Right. Who would have thunk it, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm a kid. I grew up. I liked swords. Yep. Fest was my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I put it together. I did a ten-fight show where I directed and choreographed everything. Mm-hmm. Well, a full game? Yeah, it was a full game. Okay. Um, and we, we performed it in a, a black box theater that had a really great setup where the audience was all up and around on sort of a mezzanine. Mm-hmm. And since the whole thing was a black box theater that had a just unistrut cage for everything. So the whole thing had this sort of like... <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you got me at the term unistrut cage. It was, it was a metal <laughs> dual railing okay. yeah. around 
a platform or like a balcony that ringed the entire space. So everybody was up high, sort okay. of looking down, very gladiator. So basically type. Thunderdome. This yeah. Is basically it, it, Thunderdome. It had Thunderdome. A, it was Thunderbox. Thunder <laughs> Thundercube. Okay, I'm not calling Thunder carry on luggage. Black box theaters are henceforth called Thunderboxes. <laughs> that phrase might be taken, I'm not sure. I'll so, look it up first. So, so, Johanna, were you huge into stage combat in school as well, or is this kind of a more recent development with you? This um, was, actually, I was part of that human chess show, mm-hmm. the very first iteration. I was not a combatant player, because the piece that I threatened backed down. Oh. He forfeited rather than try to fight me. Oh. Which was the first one that I won and I hadn't won any for five years after okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, is this a Genghis Khan approach? You just like, kind of let your pr- reputation precede you? You'd think, yeah. <laughs> Having no reputation at all, it was a great place to start from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd, I'd been peripherally interested in stage combat, but there I had no resources. It was something that if the opportunity came up, I would jump for it, but yeah. I, I didn't at that point no since I'm from the Madison area I was new to Minneapolis didn't know what kind of opportunities there were outside the university Mm -hmm. Um, and stage combat wasn't really a thing at the U of M at that point Um, I'm not sure now been graduated for a while Um, so (laughs) I was interested I I was a last minute non-combatant piece Mm -hmm. technically and so I didn't get in on that because of scheduling yeah um, but when I heard that it was coming back, I went right for it. Um, and when did it come back? It came back in 2011. So mm-hmm. uh, Six Elements Theater was formed kind of on accident. Okay. Um, the best things happen on accident, right. to be honest. So uh, a group of U of M grads and friends of U of M grads were working together in the winter of 2010, mm-hmm. I believe, mm-hmm. putting together... To Wealth Night. Yes? No? Yes. Yes. 2010 into 2011. Yep. It that, was over the new year. Yes, mm-hmm. Twelfth Night. And so, um, it was a show that several people had been talking about putting together a, a theater company. Mm-hmm. And they all accidentally, just sort of circumstantially, happened to be working on this show together at the, at the time. Yep. And um, they just sort of pulled the trigger on it and said, why don't we just say that this is our first show? Uh Coincidentally, that show was my senior thesis for my BA. Really? Though I was not a company member at the time. I did not know that. Played violin. Ha! Kick ass. Yeah, that was a. So that was the first show that the company did. Mm-hmm. And then. One, two, three. Was it Pillow Man next? I believe so. Yeah, so then show? in the sort of spring, February, March time, yep. we, uh, they had put together a, um, a, The Pillow Man by Martin McDonough. Okay. It's a. Dark, dark comedy. Oh wait, I Martin McDonough and Martin it's dark. Yeah, <laughs> oh my god, it's his early work, untempered by you know. Oh yeah, having to do something for film audiences. <laughs> um, but and then it's we were show. we were then getting ready to uh, get into the Fringe Festival. We had applied to the Fringe, uh, didn't get in, and we were realizing, hey, our summer is wide open. Uh, it would be fun to do something because. I sort of independently of the it, you know company meetings was just thinking why don't we do theater in the summer? Why is theater just it's, it's, it's everyone's dark season? Everyone runs basically a, an educational calendar for well you know rooftops are open on bars now so That's, yeah, no one wants to go to the theater. 
We've rooftop lost our, theaters. We need rooftop theaters. Ah, we've we've lost our we've lost our audiences to outdoor drinking. Indeed. So so that was the that was the comeback then of the uh, MCCL as it came to be known. It, it was actually sort of the dawn of the MCCL to okay. an extent. The the which is the Midwest Combat Chesney. Mm. Yep. Good catch. Which is the in-world um, organization that hosts human combat chess tournaments. Okay, I, I guess I guess we could take a step back then, because you decided to frame the show in a way that uh, I didn't see really anybody doing, because, I mean, you've seen people do human chess before. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not necessarily a new concept, but the way you decided to package it was really kind of innovative. I'd like to talk about that. So... Um... The first iteration in 2009, the senior project, uh, wasn't built as... I mean, it was it was sort of built as a stepping stone towards uh, the Midwest Combat Chess League mm-hmm. in the modern sport context that we run it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one was just sort of a stripped down... It was the black team and the white team. It was still in modern dress. Mm-hmm. We had a sort of... We had a guy in a referee shirt um, sort of calling out uh, moves and, and calling fouls and things like that. Um, because I had, I had sort of, a couple times in, in my collegiate career, had, had stumbled upon or run into the idea of sort of a dystopian future sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a la rollerball. Yeah. Back to the Thunderdome. Oh, yeah! Thunderdome. Everything comes back to Thunderdome. I, I had had a, a project in a directing class where it was, um basically trying to kill each other with light so you start off in a room that's dark Ooh. and there's lit flashlights on a table and people have to scramble out of the darkness and grab a fr- flashlight and then turn it off and the, the the trade-off is that it's totally dark you cannot see shining a light on someone will hurt them and you hurt them until they die however that reveals your position to the third person yeah. so having to do this around dark obstacles that you're not then tripping over and all that jazz is the, the Similar, like, so that was okay. the, the vein that I had kind of worked in in the, really in the past. I'm like, oh, this would be kind of fun. Um, so I had just the sort of bare idea of what if it's not a really over-theatricalized, uh, fest-style performance up in the Renaissance trappings and whatnot. Like, what if, what if this is, what if that thing that we see at the Renaissance Festival had persisted into the modern day, what would it look like now? Ah. Um. Uh, so that was the the very rough concept because I didn't need to get super deep into it for the senior project, but when we decided to bring it in for 2011 and do it as a Six Elements Theater produced show, uh, we just wanted to throw more backstory in because we already had a little bit of real backstory, mm-hmm. uh, which we infinite we immediately benefited from. Of hey, this is a thing that has happened before. We can reference it because it happened in real life. It was a real event that people could have gone and seen. Uh, and then we decided, what if we blended real backstory that actually happened with fake backstory that could have happened? Mm-hmm. And so that's where we get the idea that the League was founded in 2007, mm. despite you know, the first event in reality happening in 2009. Yep. Um, now, I, I feel the need to interject here and just add do. a little bit of explanation to this. We now know the history of the show... The specifics of which are a live human chess game in which human people play each of the chess pieces. Mm-hmm. And um, all of the chess rules, I believe, are followed, save that when you're playing the board game, when a piece moves into another's square, it is an attack or whatever, that that attacking piece automatically wins. 
Um, in this situation, however, since these are people and we love our stage combat, mm -hmm. uh, the attacking piece gets choice of weapon. And I tried to count at some point and lost count at 20 mm -hmm. different weapon combinations oh. and choices and that growing. we have <laughs> used in the past. See, I'm probably close to that. Um, and every year we try and add a few more and add some spice to it. Absolutely. Uh, a little more. Uh, so I mean... I'm what sorry. you're looking at is real chess, if, if you know the game of chess, we follow those rules, and then if it wasn't complicated enough for you, mm -hmm. we have an added level of strategy being sizing up uh, pieces and whether or not they would win with either weapon choice or without weapon choice if mm -hmm. they're a defending piece and sending humans out to face each other and having that level of strategy as well. So within the context of the fake sport, then the mm -hmm. king, who's the, I guess, the commander or the the, the, the commander slash coach of each team, really? Yeah, the, depending on which um, which sport analogy you want to go with, they sort of play as the the manager of a baseball team, and yeah. sort of, they're usually the one to select the lineup and figure out who's going where. Who's playing a pawn, who's playing a queen. But right. also need to be capable fighters themselves. Right, in which in which case they're almost more like a quarterback, in that mm -hmm. they're certainly there on the field, physically engaged in what's going on, but they're still the ones calling the plays and yeah. that sort of thing. Absolutely. So within the context of the fake sport world, then a king would have to not only know how to play the game of chess really well, but how to distribute his players as the, the specific pieces. Yeah. Um, I, be, I believe that, uh, and, and this is something we can talk about when we get to uh, the this uh, this current season, mm -hmm. which is something different from what we've done before. Mm -hmm. um, so the so the sports motif. Did, did, did you think that that um, that that way to go with selling the show would also kind of translate easily to? Uh, Let's face it, Minnesota, we, we loves us our hockey, and we loves us our football, and that kind of thing. Do, do you think this is going to be able to try and bridge the gap of people who wouldn't normally go to theater? I'm not sure that was initially part of the plan, uh -huh. uh, at least not expressly so. Um, I've it, For me, it was just sort of trying to blend in the idea of, I like this show concept that I've done a couple times. Um, and it was, uh, it's originally sourced in this Renaissance Festival style performance, but I'm also a big fan of pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. At least, you know, I was back when it was good. Well, who wasn't? You know, I, 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 I myself, there were, there was a good chunk of years where I, I followed it so closely. Because I was, I, I, I got in during the Attitude Era, and it was all the really good... It was good storytelling by good performers yep. doing really cool stunts. I remember Sting was, the was like... was, was He was my superhero for a while. Like, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I, and then, of course, I learned it was just basically just a plagiarism of The Crow. But, no, that's true. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but it was compelling storytelling, yeah. And really cool feats of physicality mm -hmm. presented as an unscripted event. Mm -hmm. Even though... After the sort of kayfabe wall, kayfabe being the in-world, basically, it's the yeah. in-world shortcut. The understanding shorthand. of the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so, you know, that wall started cracking in the 90s of the performers being like, okay, yes, yeah, yeah okay, fine, yes, it's it's pre-scripted, it's predetermined, but it doesn't make it not cool. It's just cool for different reasons. Uh, so, I was sort of playing on that, of like, what if it was sort of pro wrestling with swords, mm -hmm. but not trying to get these super over-the-top personalities, because you, 
when you watch pro wrestling, you see these people behaving in ways that you wouldn't see people behave in the street. It is all actively overly magnified. Oh, yeah. And my goal was to have that sort of, that still set up of this is a league where people compete for championships and they have sort of, you have to be a particular kind of personality yeah. to get into a, a sport involving swinging swords at people. To willingly put yourself in a position where you would need to fight in one of, or four of any 20 different weapon yeah, styles exactly. and skills, sometimes back to back to back. But to, to build the world in a way that people could believe that, oh, this is just an underground sport that I hadn't heard of, just like, I don't know, like... I mean, competitive dodgeball is a thing. Right! I See. mean, racing soapboxes, soapbox derby cars down hills that are shoddily made because Red Bull sponsors it. That's, exactly. that's a thing. People, yeah, the X Games and things like I that. I did security so. for a show called Crash Dice that Red Bull puts on. Oh, and it's downhill a, skating. Down, downhill, like, skate cross. Slalom skating, uh, skate cross kind yeah. of thing. It is... It, it, I mean, people turn out in droves to see it, so, I mean, there's definitely no reason why people can't latch on to uh, a sport that involves, I mean, this much compelling combat, which brings me to uh, choreographers. I mean, they, they are obviously, like, the backbone of how uh, this show is constructed. Without them, we could not do this show. Oh, good lord, no. Uh, so, so how was the situation with choreographers at the beginning? Was it just by necessity you all kind of just generated your own uh, choreo? Well, for... Um, well, the first iteration, it was I choreographed all of them because I didn't know any other choreographers, and well, it was and that also was your project. It was, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. Like the, the point do. was for me to choreograph. So, how many fights. fights did you choreograph that first? The year? first one, it was technically ten, even though one of them was just a single knee to the chest. That counts. Yep, it, it does. It counts, especially it a, in theater. Yeah, yeah. Have, if you have to drill in a fight, call it counts as a fight. Yep. So yeah, we had ten fights, and you need to drill that at in fight. fight call. Call. No, no, you really do. There's, you know, it's it's a thing. Yeah. Um, and then. Oh boy, what did we do? Uh, by the time 2011 had come around, I had met up with a couple people. Dave Schneider, who's yep. a local uh, choreographer. You mean Dave Chernobyl Schneider? <laughs> Silent Dave Schneider. <laughs> yeah. um, and he uh, he had gotten a group of people together. He'd started a Minnesota Fighter Forum and hosted sort of a meet and greet mm -hmm. of local fight people. Uh, and I. I had he had come to see my show and I had seen him perform at Fest, so we had sort of been circling. I actually met him at uh, the Winter Wonderland workshop in Chicago earlier in two thousand nine, but I didn't really like click mm -hmm. that. Oh, that's who that was. Uh, and he was interested in coming on as a choreographer that year. And uh, Mike Speck was mm -hmm. similarly another local choreo another local choreographer, and he was the the regional representative for the Society of American Fight Directors mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, so he was also interested in in doing some choreography. So we had a, a slightly uh, larger cadre of people. Aaron we even had... Huh? Aaron Price was my choreographer, wasn't he? Or Scarpello. It was Scarpello. Mm -hmm. um, and then Adam Scarpello, who was someone who auditioned to perform in the show, mm -hmm. and when he showed up, he had a resume of all his choreography credits. I'm like, oh. And listeners, by the way, you're going to want to put on some hard hats. We are dropping some names here. <laughs> Well, Some heavy hitting names. <laughs> you better believe it. Um, and <coughs> uh, I asked him if he was interested in doing choreography, and I think he also asked if, like, if he was, if it was okay if he did. I don't remember. It was this was like six years ago. Yep. I don't remember what the conversation was. But anyway, he also came on and did some choreography for us. And then every year we just sort of expanded a little bit by a little bit. Um, this year we have twelve choreographers. Yep. Working on the show. Do you, mm -hmm. oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. No, I couldn't remember if it was twelve or thirteen. 
Twelve thirteen um, counting you. Ah, there we so, go. Of course, of course. You gotta <laughs> count yourself, Mike. Come on. Don't be so shy. Um I guess then, seeing as there's been like a good few years of evolution of this show mm-hmm. since twenty uh since two thousand nine, mm-hmm. um I'm wondering like has the how has the show evolved for you? Has it has it changed the way that you approach Choreography, how you construct fights, the 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 end result that the end goal that you're looking for, because I mean the goal of a good fight choreographer should really be to be able to have a, a, everything that a character can communicate in dialogue be done in physical action. Yep, you know the chess is a a really a weird little pocket mm-hmm. um, of of elements of stage combat uh, from a. From a classic theatrical perspective of a person who is putting together fights, say, uh, a person who is there to choreograph the fight between Hamilton and Laertes, mm-hmm. you have two thoroughly well-established characters that we've seen on stage for hours at this point. They've had lines of dialogue with each other. Um, they've, uh, And there are specific lines in the dialogue within the fight that help guide you towards the creation of it. You know mm-hmm. that there needs to be a disarm at some point. You yep. know there needs to be uh, one touch, two touch. That yep. In Romeo and Juliet, you know that Mercutio gets stabbed under the arm. Right. You know. And there's also at that by that point in the play, there's design elements to take into account. There's mm-hmm. this built world. And whereas for chess, we set, we have the built world mm-hmm. that we're we have a context that we're working within, uh, but things it's a very narrow scope and and i think creativity really thrives within constraints because the fighters rarely have much in terms of dialogue leading up to their fight in chess in chess Mm -hmm. uh the fight can only end in a certain number of ways following the rules of the combat which are which are that if you get a blow or you position your blade or your weapon in such a way that it would have been a killing blow had the weapons been real mm-hmm. then the fight's over usually I mean it, it follows a very kind of uh, there's a certain etiquette involved if you know you're beaten you yep. yield you know mm-hmm. there's a uh, or you know you can can you win by submission as well yeah the um, it, submission is sort of like a physical yielding kind yeah. of thing okay. mm-hmm. and uh, depending on the weapon sometimes it's a verbal someone says I yield sometimes it's a tap out depending yep. um, and sometimes Players are unable to continue in yep. the case of because you can't yield if you've been knocked unconscious. <laughs> However, yeah, in, yeah. we in world that we try to avoid this, and all the combatants are very conscious mm-hmm. of this. Um, it's not a blood sport. We don't do grotesque effects or anything like that. That's yep. great for other worlds. It's just in the world of human combat chess. Right. Yeah. It's more of a sport and less of a battle to the death. And and this is sort of. In world derived from the idea that this was at one point a gentlemanly sport yep. um, back in the Middle Ages or whatever false history something something sport. Venice exactly the Venice rules <laughs> um, and and so the I there's there's also just the in world recognition that this is a league that you have you play a game every week mm-hmm. and if you get knocked unconscious. You're on medical suspension until you make sure you don't have a concussion. We're not going to make you fight again next week. Wait, you mean you're more responsible than the than the NFL? Like, yes. Well, oh, wow. <laughs> you'd think. Oh man, people with swords, you think they'd be a little less civilized? Well, because I I I borrow a lot of my 
because uh, I mean it's a combat sport yep. and so looking at a lot of the, the governing bodies of combat sports and the way that they work in real world like the UFC yep. there'll be people who win a fight but because of the physical strain of going through it they didn't even get un- knocked unconscious they took a couple shots to the face the doctor's like you're not allowed to even like exercise work out or spar for <laughs> how a- are you standing right well now? it's like you're on a 60 day suspension and for you know human combat it's like you're out for the season yeah. uh so I guess in world then there is a kind of an etiquette amongst the competitors that yeah, you know, it's like, you're not going to screw up, you know, people that you compete against yeah. too badly because they could do the same thing to you exactly. and you could be out for don't, like, that's the thing. don't ruin their season because yeah. then their friend is going to ruin yours. Which I mean I really love about that that the the world that the audience is sold is one where it's it's very much a contest of skill and there is a there is a at least a modicum of respect yeah. between people as they as they face off so. When you don't have the life or death stakes that you have in, say, like a, in a Shakespeare play or mm-hmm. in a Greek tragedy or something like that, um, and it's more of a, more of a contest, um, do, do, do you think that that takes away from the compellingness well, of the face-off that happens between the before the audience? One thing that I really enjoy about this world as a sport is that. Like a lot of combat sports, it's an individual versus an individual yep. in the fights. And it's also a huge team sport. You have the white team and the black team, and depending on the teams within the league as well. Um, some have history with each other. Some players switch teams, and so they have history within the league. So it's almost like a larger fight family but each season people are on different teams and so yes it's one person out there swinging the sword for the black team swinging the sword for the white team but they have their whole team cheering for them Mm -hmm. giving them advice Um, and so I've something that I really enjoy about that is that it lets every individual shine while still keeping a team spirit and still getting the audience behind the group entities as yeah. well as the individuals. Absolutely, not to get too inside baseball here, but one of the uh, one of the group rehearsals that we had um, dealt with uh, building kind of morale and teamwork within our own individual teams, mm-hmm. and um, and that leads me to talk about this particular season. How is this particular season of human combat chess different from the previous seasons? Because from my understanding, the previous seasons have always been it's the championship match of that season of the MCCL. It's the final, you know. It's the final showdown for the trophy or the cup or yep. the... There needs to be a cup. A bowl. There can be a cereal bowl. <laughs> Gold-plated bowl. Yes. We'll, we'll find some kind of trophy at some point. Really need one. If anyone has any ideas. Yeah. <laughs> start. But no, I mean, the MCCL as an entity is, is populated by uh, a bunch of teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are... Uh, can we list them all, I think? There's oh, yeah. The, <laughs> Let's see if in in no list. particular order. We well, have the, if, if we do it alphabetically, I think okay, we can right. He's already got, got it alphabetically. The Banshees, the, Banshees, the, the Celts, Celts, the Corsairs, the Dragons, Dragons the Legion, the Phoenix, the Templars... Roses. And the roses. Yes, there we go. So Not quite enough medical roses order. Templars, roses Templars. So that's eight teams, and you yes. know, and, and and in previous seasons, you've sold this as there's already been all this huge season An of lead up, season, yep. yeah. and there's been uh, so many games, and competitors have been eliminated. So and going back to your question of stakes, oh, yeah. in previous years, it's been the championship that's yep. on the line, yep. and so because technically this would be the end of the season, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. Stakes can be higher um, 
people can, can go. People can push a little harder. They're not mm-hmm. worried about having a fight next week. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. The pressure is definitely on, though. You yep. know. Mm-hmm. This year we're doing something different. I think it's a wonderful coincidence that in World it's the tenth anniversary um, of the Midwest Combat Chess League, and Out of World it's the sixth anniversary with Six Elements Theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very nice. Um, so we're that. we're doing something special. It's time to shake it up, especially since we this is our annual show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're having an all-star match. All-star. So the the idea being that the the league has as finally as their own celebration of having been around for ten years that they decide to host an all-star game and bring in people from all the different teams, bring in the best of the best, and have a match that's mostly exhibition. It's mostly just a chance to see the best competitors doing their thing. Um, mm-hmm. And there are still there's still stakes in the game. There's there's obviously the prestige of being on the first ever winning All-Star team. Even just being selected as an All-Star is, oh, yeah. is a huge thing. Um, and then money, you know, in world, yeah. everyone who wins on the primary All-Star team gets riders on their contracts. So exactly. They get exactly. An, an extra paycheck. For different stakes within the fights. It's not just everyone fighting for the championship. Yeah. It's that we have we have the opportunity to have team representatives on each board side. Yeah. There is the opportunity to have people who have been on the same team for years and years and years get to spar each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because unlike um, in, say, the... Uh, like the NFL All Stars or the N- or the MLB All Stars, where they have two conferences and yep. those teams stay within those conferences, and it becomes All Star representatives of each of those halves of the league. Yep. There's no del- division like that in the MCCL, so it's just a full, um, a, a, like audience or, or not audience specifically, but fan in world fan vote. I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, select who all the representatives from each team will be into the general all-star pool, and then they're divided sort of half and half for the most part, as, in like a little and mini draft. There's between three to six representatives from each team yeah, on absolutely. the board. It's not an even number from each Yeah, it's team. not a mandated even number. No, but there's there's a handful from each of the teams. Uh, so yeah, we've, we get opportunities, and now since this all-star game is happening mid-season, you get opportunities for people who are on, say, the the Banshees, yep. um, who are who have really great camaraderie with each other. Some of them end up on the same all-star team and get to be buddy-buddy on the team and have their own little uh, side conversations and yep. their, their chemistry within the scope of a larger team. And then they also get to have that chemistry with the person on the other side of the board that they might get a chance to fight. That they, like, their teammates, they were teammates at their regular season match. Last week, and they'll be teammates week. again. Yeah, <laughs> next week. Oh um, my god! So you know, and it, they if, if one of their teammates ends up with a fight and they don't end up fighting them, they get to mention to the combatant who's about to fight them if they have any particular weaknesses, yeah. or if they have a favored move or something. So there's that as well, and there's also opportunities not just for same team um, matches. Yep. But also fights that wouldn't necessarily happen during the regular season oh, yeah. in terms of, um, I feel like we have a lot more creative weapon calls this year. <laughs> oh, yes, we do. Yeah. Um, we Love also, to talk about that. We also have opportunities for more follow-up fights, and I feel like telling individual stories 
not necessarily if one team has a grudge against the other, but if one player has a grudge mm-hmm. against another. This is their low-stakes chance to take out some personal feelings. Yeah. Um, and so that's another thing we get to play with. So we get to tell multiple stakes and multiple story arcs that are more character-focused yep. versus entire team-focused story arcs, which we pushed pretty hard last year. Absolutely. And so this is an interesting challenge this year. You, you do. I mean... You, there's there's just such an interesting myriad of personalities on either side of the of the teams this year. For you instance, want personalities, on personalities, we got personalities. <laughs> For instance, on on on, on, on my side, black black team, we got uh, I mean we got the Marchand brothers, uh, yep. Greg and Chris Marchand, who you can also see at the uh, uh, Minnesota Renaissance Festival. Oh, sure. Um, and w- on, on the other side, we have Darwin, the Incredible Hull, yep. uh, and. Uh, the sensei Noah Stein, Rachel Bigelow, uh, mm-hmm. and, and of, th- these names might not mean to you, mean much to you if you haven't seen the show yet. But I guarantee you, if you come and see the show, they will. We've had fans come multiple years bringing signs for their favorite players. Yeah, mm-hmm. that I mean, and these are real people for in-world characters, which is a really exciting thing to see that this world has been building for so many years. That we do have all-stars within our yeah. uh, recurring cast, and because we have such a huge cast, we have about 40 different actors involved, it allows us to have a lot of new people and a lot of returning actors yeah. as well. We've, we've got people who have, for whom this is their fifth show, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've had anyone who's done all who's done all six, not six performing elements shows, in not all performing six. No. We've had people who've done five out of seven. Mm-hmm. 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 And we have people that this is their first foray into stage combat yep. as well. That is something as well that I wanted to touch on. Thank you for reminding me because this has been, I mean, for somebody like myself, I did, I, I learned stage combat out in Seattle at, uh, at Cornish College, um, but I also know that there are people who weren't necessarily theater majors, mm-hmm. who didn't necessarily know that they were into something like this until they were out of school for a little while. Um, do you think that in hosting not just uh, Human Combat Chess, but you also run a uh, Stage Combat Open Gym. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Lubke does, yeah. M- Mike, Mike Lubke runs a Minnesota Stage Combat Open Gym, and if you look for that group on Facebook, uh, it's a wonderful group of people, and you should uh, come check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has served as an amazing educational opportunity, I think, for people mm-hmm. who um, can finally get a chance to learn some rudiments of uh, how you stage a fight and how to do it safely. I mean... Mm-hmm. It's, it's just it, it is uh, we, I think we're you're doing your part to really breed a new generation of not only compelling but very you know safety conscious fighters and people who can really work in a professional theater uh, environment so I, I that's not a question I'm just saying thank you <laughs> you know uh, I'm just, you're welcome <laughs> let me just take the awesome. shovel thank and you. heap some praise um, so what's uh, Mike uh, what is your favorite uh, fight Weapon combo historically in the whole history of human combat chess. Oh, favorite weapon combo. Um, that's uh, or favorite fighter. You know, I was about to say. So, uh, caveat here: it's it's really tricky to differentiate some of the greatest weapon combinations from some of the greatest fights. Okay, because uh, mm-hmm. sometimes it was a it was a, a a value of the weapon. Sometimes it was a value of the fighters. How you know. use it, that counts. exactly. Okay, so we'll start uh, off with weapon combos then. Um, let's see. Uh, well, I think we've gotten some uh, really good mileage out of sword and cloak. 
yeah. fights. I think we've used them we've used them sparingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've always managed to do some really interesting things mm-hmm. with them. They they give a nice added twist that is diff- is is a, a marked difference from all the other weapons. Indeed. Uh, and I think it's because we use it so sparingly that the times when you do see a cloak on the board, mm-hmm. it's it's very intentional and it's specifically to tell that story within the fight. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's a it's a nice little uh, diversion away, a nice little juxtaposition mm-hmm. that doesn't feel like a sideshow. It still feels very much like, oh, these people are really trying to solve this combative problem in front of them with the tool at hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, like, I, I'm I'm a big fan of, of just two-handed sword fights. Because mm-hmm. uh, you can... There's sort of an innate juxtaposition... Or not juxtaposition. It's my favorite word. I use it too much. Um... Uh, there's an innate dichotomy yeah. that you can have between the classic idea of, say, how the Darwin would swing that sword as just a big behemoth wielding a big behemoth sword with big old swings. I almost expected you to say big behemoth Bardiche, but we know that's not going to happen. No! No Bardiche fight! <laughs> uh, no esoteric pole arms. We tried it once. That's <laughs> uh, esoteric pole arms. Um, but, but then you can also get really technical and really finessey with and mm-hmm. being able to see those styles matched against each other, whether it's style versus brute, or you have brute versus brute, or, or you know, or you have brutes with a surprising amount of style and technique. Yep. Yeah. Um, you you can sort of play against uh, preconceptions in in mm-hmm. that, and Definitely. it's a absolutely it's a nice simple tool that you can do a lot. Twenty fourteen season, I think one of the uh, coolest matchups I saw was Jacob Gulliver versus Jenny Young using small swords and. I didn't know Jacob very well at the time. Uh, I didn't. Oh, Steffi O'Brien. Oh, was it Steffi O'Brien? Yep. Oh, okay. Jacob, Steffi, small small with, yeah, with small sword. I mean, Steffi, you know, she came across as being very, very skilled with the weapon and very used to it. I didn't expect Jacob Gulliver to uh, be have have any kind of finesse with a small sword. I thought he would stick to things like a screamer, you know, that kind yep. of thing. Um, well, but we'd seen him use exactly yeah. very different weapons and but, and that was a really great opportunity because I choreographed that. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was a great opportunity to play around with a character who is a small sword specialist yep. who is very trained in this particular very point centric thrusting weapon style, very much like a like a fencing foil. It's what a fencing foil derived from. Yep, it's a three foot long needle that you poke someone in their vital organs with. Yeah, a needle from Game of Thrones. Yeah, there you go. Um, so. Where versus someone who like this is not their weapon choice, this is not their weapon style. It was previously established that Jacob's character and Jacob as a performer has kendo training, mm-hmm. and so the the story became trying to fight in a small sword style for Jacob, and that as he got pushed, as he got under more stress, as the pressure was putting on, he started reverting back. To older habits, mm-hmm. which is what a person would do, and we got to see him try to struggle with the mechanics of the weapon and how it wants to be used, and how his body wants to turn this into a kendo cutting weapon. Yep, and how he can sometimes find success with that. It was a it was a fun arc to to play through yep. purely through fight choreography. Again, I love how the framework of the kind of show itself allows you to explore that kind of nuance in, in stage fights. Really, really fun opportunities with this show to tell stories that you wouldn't necessarily get to do within the framework of a more traditional script. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because all too frequently, there's there's almost a default uh, mentality when you're going into uh, a fight for a pre-established script. Um, 
like a Shakespeare or what have you, where for the most part, all of the character setup, all of the character build, like they're building towards the fight. Hal Hotspur, um, McBee McDee, all mm-hmm. these things are happen at the culminate. They are the culmination of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the culmination of the we're building these characters up and up and up and up and up and up and up, and now they fight and one of them wins. But that almost doesn't that leads you to think that the fight is just the thing that resolves the conflict and not there is there's like re- arc within it yeah if anything the arc becomes this guy's gonna win oh now the other guy's gonna win oh now this guy's gonna win and that determines the end of the show from there you know how the show is going to end yeah right often in things like that well it's exactly like how uh it was uh communicated to me with just acting work just Mm -hmm. uh, just scene work i mean Mm -hmm. they they would uh, we would often be asked like who's winning right now who's winning right now it's not even though it's not actually a contest you're you're seeing where that goes, and I mean, I'm gonna say it again. Of course, my my unifying theory around it is that it's um, stage combat is exactly the, it serves the same purpose as singing does in musicals. Because mm-hmm. when a character sings in a musical, that they're at the point where words no longer do it. Mm-hmm. You know, words no longer will convey the emotion that they're feeling or the or, or the circumstances that they're forced to endure and everything mm-hmm. so they were they, they they sing it instead and it's the same thing with fights it's mm-hmm. just just that what was that quote by von Clausewitz? is that uh war is just politics by by, by, by other means, means. yeah you know so fighting is a conversation by other means yeah you know? and i it's one of the reasons that i will just absolutely trumpet this show to the heavens is that you can really see a conversation happening on the board because we have to almost like uh, like i was saying with Strictly speaking, not from an entertainment standpoint, but from a uh, from a story standpoint, from the arc of the characters, you could have uh, well, McBee McBee's tricky because they have dialogue within the fight. Um, let's say Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, um, those fights don't have to be long. All it needs to happen is this person needs to die, and then this person needs to kill them. So you don't need elaborate sword fights to lead into that. We like elaborate sword yes, fights because do. they are spectacle. Well, it can be quite fun to just surprise somebody. Not <laughs> it is, yeah. right. But whereas with these fights, we have to some frequently convey backstory just within the fight itself. And so with without having an elaborate amount of setup, usually a fight just by itself without context, there's no stakes. We're not invested in these characters. So... Finding a way to get people invested in these characters mm-hmm. and establish stakes once the fight has already started is a huge obstacle and gives all of us choreographers who also frequently work on other theatrical productions around town, mm-hmm. like this is not the only thing we choreograph, uh, hones that skill so that when you go on into McBee McDee, it's not just that, all right, the story is over, we're, fight, we're trying to figure out who's going to win. Now a whole new story can begin of that like the whole this whole show was just backstory mm-hmm. now how are these men going to resolve their differences well obviously with blood but in yeah. what way whose blood mm-hmm. how about now I mean um, yeah do, do they fight savage do they fight with respect it's do they? And one point of fascination for me, um, as directing more the acting side of things in this show, has been how do people go into this fight versus how do they come out of it, mm-hmm. and what goes on in the middle that makes it that way. Because for, and one of the the great things that we can do 
is frequently, you know, not, not to give away anything specific about this year, but people will have multiple fights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A... <laughs> A queen will get into multiple fights. This is gonna happen well, in the most show. mobile piece on the board. Yep. They can be used very efficiently. They can be anywhere and everywhere. And so often they are one of the stronger fighters on the team in world because they are the most likely to be able to go out and literally pick fights with other strong pieces on yep. the board. And so watching someone evolve from fight to fight, watching them learn from fight, uh, watching one person. Um, so, uh, for example, in 2014, yep. uh, Phil Henry fought... Oh, who was the first fight? Jenna, I believe. Was it Jenna? Danielle? Um, yes! Yes! He did fight you. <laughs> yes, that was, that was when I fought Phil Henry. There we go. <laughs> Phil has fought a lot of people. That's right. You, it was Mort, Mort Sword and Buckler. Buckler. Yes, and it was a historical style of Mort Ferry Sword and Buckler choreographed by Ernesto Maldonado. Who is a local uh, historical martial arts guy who is a wealth of knowledge. He's like the Fort Knox of knowledge. He is also going to be a uh, required upcoming episode of Excellent. his podcast. Good. So you just, just so you know, that, that a long... Possibly, probably long interview with Does Ernesto Maldonado yep. is in fact forthcoming, so please look forward to that. But oh, So a story element that we got to do there was uh, Phil uh, beat Johanna in a, in a particular sword style fight using a particular style of movement and move. So that then when you came in yep. and fought in a similar, you did like rapier and bumper. Yeah, we picked, um, I picked with the, I, the weapon choice I had I think was rapier and offhand. And knowing that he was probably going to go for a buckler because that's a thing that he likes to use. Yep. Which he did. Which he did. Um, we then got to see you learn from something he did in a previous fight. You weren't even him fighting him before, but you were watching him fight. Yep. And then learning from that and seizing that moment when he's about to do something predictable to turn the tide on him. So we get those opportunities for storytelling and, Absolutely. and problem solving. And I also have to point out that a lot of this storytelling, something that really backs that up logistically is that we, of course, highly prioritize rehearsal time um, and effort and safety within that. Um, Since, at least since I've been part of the company, um, I've been able to see that and be part of the, the meetings going into it and the planning. But because we realize that we are a growing part of this fight community and, and very much so, um, we try to be responsible by our combatants and our choreographers and our audience, essentially, in that we devote the time to be able to rehearse these stories, to be able to focus not just on learning choreography, learning it safely and performing it well, mm-hmm. but having those nuances that tell the story. And specifically, now our choreographers know and our combatants know that that is our priority. And often, um, you know, if if our character, if all of our actors had pages of script to learn, mm-hmm. or if they had musical numbers to learn, or anything else like that, that would take, and necessarily so, and absolutely rightly so, mm-hmm. rehearsal hours. Mm-hmm. And with a show like this, we spend a couple hours out of every week rehearsing the lines because there are so few of them, mm-hmm. and we spend quite a few more hours in every week rehearsing the fights um we i believe we're having at least 
eight hours per fight before tech even starts. Um, at least. At least. Yeah, several of them have like That 14. is the requirement. We have 16 possible hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but when you're trying to schedule about 40 different actors over summer, usually, when everyone's on vacation, which is probably why no one does a summer show. <laughs> um we realize that certain flexibility is needed. Yeah. And so it's it's always a work in progress to do right by our choreographers and our combatants and our audience. Yeah. Um, but the balance there is devoting enough rehearsal hours and enough attention to detail that the audience gets to see a show and a quality of stage combat that by necessity of other priorities isn't found elsewhere, at least not that you I've don't, seen. Because you don't have the time to... Wait. like. The amount of time that we put into any one of our fights, there's no time to put into make me happy. Yeah. Unless, no, there's just no time. It, you, there's, you've got so much other stuff to work on in that show. It, you cannot devote the same amount. Of it time. really Especially is for yeah. the actors. If you're learning all those lines, mm-hmm. it places an added stress component to try and say, okay, I know you're trying to tell a story within the scene. I know you're trying to tell a story mm-hmm. within the text and within whatever subtext you're dealing with and whatever show you're doing, and also. Here's a little mini play for you to learn with swords. Yep. <laughs> Which you may have had an emotional experience with. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and so that's something that we are able to prioritize. Yep. Um, and so we really try hard to do right by our people that way. Yeah. And I, I really, I think you're succeeding. It's kind of, it's an all or nothing kind of proposition. If you're not going to be able to put on the Herculean effort that is to organize and manage and, uh, and bring together in the first place what at, by necessity thirty six people plus all of the yep yep thirty six people on the board yep and then well, thirty two on the board thirty two Th- thirty two sorry thirty two on the board math is hard we have um we also have announcers and medics color commentary yep and um marshals and all kinds of all kinds Support of staff. Support staff, yeah, involved as well as some of our choreographers are performing in the show. Some are not. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we have a fantastic sound designer as well. So mm-hmm. we just keep bringing in more people into this community, which is really great. And and, and it's it's certainly paying off every year. The show gets a little more complicated and a little more involved and a, a little more nuanced. Um, and I'm excited to take this step this year. Yeah. With our um, all-star game, adding another level of theatricality yeah. to something. Oh heck! Speaking of extra layers of complexity, we haven't even mentioned. Technically, it's the all-star series. The all-star series. Yeah, it's not one game. It's it's uh, it's a it's a best two out of three matchup. That's right. So, also going back to the very beginning planning stages of this, <laughs> we also have to sit down and come up with a chess game that works <laughs> for so, chess and. For the show we want, and now we're doing best two out of three. So, seriously, like, something that people just (laughs) will never understand until you're in that room, but I'm going to try my best to get it across. Trying to build a chess game that has, in and of itself, inherent character about how the different uh, kings play chess and establishing how that they play chess differently, which is an important asymmetry for storytelling. Uh... Making sure that some fighters, some fights must be lost by the attacker in order to maintain 
the believability that sometimes, even though you have weapon choice, that doesn't mean you're going to win the fight. Yeah. That adds that layer of unpredictability. Determining when and where that happens in the story mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that it furthers the story along. Uh, and, in the end, making sure that uh, it has a, a satisfying ending. Because chess can frequently resolve itself you know, fight, 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 15 fights, and then you have, like, 26 moves of chasing the king around until eventually they're stuck in a checkmate. Yeah. And, which would then translate to 15 minutes of people walking around on a board until someone goes, yay, I won! It's just not interesting and compelling. So we have a sort of, this is not clearly an in-world rule, but for Six Elements as a producing theater to make sure that this is an interesting and compelling story. Mm-hmm. It also, we need to make to sure because end on a fight. these are humans, we can't have one piece going through eight different fights in a row. That would be overtaxing on our actors. These are all athletically challenging fights oh, as yeah. well. So you absolutely. You need an, an appropriate number of fights because sometimes it, it's possible to get 31 fights in a game. But, well, I mean, you'd have to try really hard. But yeah. it, it's possible to get upwards of 27. That's a lot of rehearsal And time. That, that might even, I hate to say it, but it might even be too many fights. Right? Like, if you don't have some the kind of breathing at room. at some point needs to go home and sleep. Yeah. <laughs> some of them, too. Some, I don't some of them, yeah. Uh, uh, so making sure we have an appropriate distribution of fights. No individual has too many. Um, making sure that we have the right number so that we can rehearse enough of them. Uh, it's it is a staggeringly difficult enterprise to craft a chess game that suits the needs of the story, mm-hmm. and then doing that more than once. That took about I I think I counted about three different meetings and a total of about twelve different twelve hours. Yep. Of, of just the chess. Of just playing chess. Not even establishing like who's playing what characters or how those arcs. And it's just literally figuring out what moves can happen. So what you're better. saying is that this might just be the nerdiest possible show in the Twin Cities Theater ever. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, we've got some tough competitors in this. Okay, thing. maybe Klingon Christmas Carol, but I mean, other than that, I, I dare somebody over. to go geekier. We have some folks from Klingon Christmas Carol. This is true. We've had crossover with the folks who do the. Terry Pratchett shows. Oh yeah, that's um, true. Mm-hmm. I think that there's there's a certain argument that this could be the nerdiest show. It's also the sportsiest show, right? Which is <laughs> well, my that that's why my, it's my favorite. Over it's it's a gigantic contradiction, and I love it because and you you mentioned this earlier that like was the plan to get sort of crossover and getting non theatrical audiences and getting sports audiences that might not have been the plan but it's happened there are a yep. number of people who have come to our show saying we don't normally see theater but we really love this yep. I, I definitely know several parents of teenage boys that say I can't get my kids to the theater anymore but they love this show yeah there you go so I guess uh, you know we're, we're coming almost to the end of an hour here uh, and uh, thank you so much for joining me by the way but I, just to kind of get wrap up like uh what are you uh, both most excited for about this uh, uh, upcoming se- uh, show? I think these are the best fights we've had yet. Yeah. I, I'm just going to go right out and say yeah. it. These are some of the best fights I've seen. And without spoiling how they go, you're going to, when you go to the show, you're going to see weapon combinations involving axes and maces and, uh, you know, pawns. Po-
pole arms. Yeah, one of the Any big things. Any kind of sword. Yeah, yeah. one yeah. of the big kind of sword. We, we must Pretty have much. like four to five different kinds of just broad swords on yeah. either side. The, we have a crate. We have a a, a, a coffin sized crate, literally full of weapons. Party yep. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so wonderful it's, to see when you just it's open it up. Sort of bulging. It's our bulging crate of weapons. <laughs> it's like the Ark of the Covenant, just full <laughs> of swords instead don't of look at it too, instead of don't look at it too close. Um, but I would say, yeah, the, one of the things that I'm just super excited for is we've got people who have been doing this show for five plus years and have been getting better as mm-hmm. performers. Some of them started off with zero stage and combat training. And yeah, and our choreographers have been doing this for a while and been getting better. Absolutely. And that's just a natural progression. My first year doing chess was 2014 mm-hmm. uh, and I skipped a year and now I'm back. Uh, I have to say that it, you know, doing open gym and doing uh, the workshops that mm-hmm. have been put on by the SAFD in this general area, uh, you know, I know for a fact I'm a different fighter than when I was two years ago. Well, and there's definitely a community here that yep. did not exist six years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the part this this show helped solidify, I think, and really re revitalize that community because the stage combat community in the Twin Cities was really thriving back in the mid '90s, mm-hmm. and then it just sort of petered out as a, a couple key members left. <laughs> and, um, and and faded whether they left or got hit by a truck or what have you. Um, but so now we've got people coming back together. The show got people interested in doing it again, and was well, not to say they weren't interested in doing stage combat. But this but is a, a centralizing force. To make the connections to make this stuff possible yeah. again. Mm-hmm. It was and it was it was a way to open up for people who didn't go to the Renaissance Festival. This show was an opportunity for people to see stage combat and go, "Hey, that's cool." And then when Open Gym started up right around the same time that Chess did, it was a realization of, hey, what if we just had an open space where people can train in this and mm-hmm. practice. And create. And yeah, because it's it's not really a class space. It's a space for people who have some skills to keep them sharp and for people who have little to no skills to just sort of absorb a little bit by osmosis. And we've been, and it always amazes me, the diversity of backgrounds of the people that come oh, in. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have folks who heard about us through haunted houses, <laughs> through the Renaissance Festival, mm-hmm. through... We had some roller derby folks in a couple years ago. Yep. We've had historical um, sword fighting and historical martial arts. Um, we've got all kinds of folks from martial arts backgrounds, mm-hmm. from theatrical backgrounds, not knowing anything about We've had clowns combat. and mimes and... Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the same place? Uh, yes, they never fought each other. They were on the same team, I think. They were on the same team. <laughs> it was a great team. Of course they were. Uh, we've had, yeah, folks from Klingon Christmas Carol, improv backgrounds. Yeah. It's a huge cross-section of people. Yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful. Where are... Uh, I guess the final question wrapping up is, uh, where would you like to see this show go? Uh, what are I mean seeing where it came from and everything like what what are your kind of what's your vision for chess in the future so uh, I, I've always dreamt big um, <laughs> that's what dreams are for exactly if you're not dreaming big you're doing it wrong yep. um, I would love to see uh, the I would like us to just ex- well it, it seems silly but simply numerical expansion I think taking this to a venue that would uh, that is set up for spectator sporting events. Mm-hmm. 
We have always had this show, well not, I won't say always, but typically we have the show in gyms because the size of our chess board, because yep. we have mats for our chess board. Yep. It's huge. We have audience on at least two sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it a huge cast. Yep. Yeah, and so it takes up a lot of room, and so we do use non-traditional spaces for this, primarily gyms. And it, and it helps keep up that sort of, this is a sporting event, oh, this is an athletic event, as mm-hmm. opposed to... A theatrical event. I there have to say, it's very that. apropos being in a basketball court this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to put this on at an arena of some variety that already has the infrastructure for sound and mm-hmm. for uh, pro- uh, like Jumbotron projection type stuff, uh, I think would be amazing. Even if it's still on a small arena venue we, scale. We, we do have a Jumbotron projection. Yeah. It's just not in a place that's built for that thing. Yeah. Yep. And it's, it's, I just want to... I think it would be great to take this into a space where we had the, the audience drive and pull to have just all the things that we do now just on another level of production value. Because mm-hmm. um, it really helps cement the idea that this sport is is becoming popular. Which it is. Yeah. Like, it... The, it in world and out of world, yeah. the sport and the event and the show is growing in popularity and in quality, uh, which is just ah, really fun. And that's the thing. I mean, if there's an audience for things like roller derby and if there's an audience for things like professional wrestling, I yeah. think there's absolutely an audience for a show like this. Yeah, like local professional wrestling gigs, they they pack armory gyms. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's just a matter of... So we need to get an armory gym. So... When will you be announcing your upcoming Kickstarter to rebuild the Coliseum <laughs> in the middle of Minneapolis? Because well, God knows it would look better than the Viking Stadium they're building now. I was about to say, like, you know, the Sandcrawler is currently taking the space we wanted. Like, that was prime real estate. My droids! My droids are taking my droids! Um, so, hey, you know, thank, thank the both of you so much for uh, coming on the podcast and Thanks talking about this. I cannot wait... For the show itself, I mean, we still have uh, many more weeks of rehearsal and uh, planning and swing and steel um, in in order to get prepared for it. And I think the audience is going to be in for a real spectacle this year. Everybody is working so hard on this production. Being at rehearsals is just a treat to see everyone doing what they do and loving it. Absolutely. Um, Anything that you particular individuals would like to plug uh, coming up? Any other side projects, uh, uh, creative endeavors? If you're interested in stage combat, which I imagine you are since you're li- listening to this podcast. Gee golly willikers. Um, the Brawl of America Stage Combat Workshop is a weekend-long workshop that Six Elements is, is sponsoring mm-hmm. uh, that is happening Memorial Day weekend um, at uh, at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, the Brabeck Center. Um, uh, not Brabeck Center. Rarick. Rarick. Why the... I don't know. It's at yeah. the Rarick Center at the University of Minnesota, just off of Riverside and Cedar. Yep. It's, a, it's a two-day workshop. You can take ten classes over the weekend um, with instructors from across the country in a variety of weapon styles uh, for a variety of disciplines and skill levels. Um, early registration is going to be opening up very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, check out brawlofamerica.weebly.com, W-E-E-B-L-Y.com, or I imagine you can probably put a link on the thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'll include I don't know how the internet works. I will include any and all links in the show notes. Excellent. Um, and uh, you can register. It'll be $150 for early registration for some serious good times. With it's also a really true professionals. Good, yeah, like uh, we're we're pulling people from literally across the country who yeah. are specialists in their field, recognized nationally, and it's an 
excellent networking opportunity. Mm-hmm. For sure, um, for sure. I've met some very good friends through the uh, yep. uh, local stage combat uh, workshop scene, for sure. You can call it a scene, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, this ain't a scene, it's a damn worms race. Um, so, uh, and we can find more about Six Elements Theater, I believe, at mm-hmm. sixelementscompany.org. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and- can they buy tickets for the show there? Uh, we should have a link up pretty soon. Okay. Um, and you can always find us on Facebook, Six Elements Theater. Um, and we'll be performing at Christ Church Lutheran in Minneapolis. It is off of 34th and 34th by Lake Street in Longfellow neighborhood. Um, we will be opening on April 29th, performing through May 7th. Of this year, we close right before Mother's Day. I know my mom's coming to see the show. Yeah, bring bring your mom and yeah. uh, ask her what she thinks about. I brought you a bouquet of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there are some roses there. That's true. There are That's going true. to be some roses. Some representatives from the roses team. Absolutely. So, um, in in summary, Human Combat Chess is a show that you absolutely need to check out. Put it on your calendar. Uh, it is uh, a theatrical experience unlike anything you're going to see in the Twin Cities. Uh, any final words, Mike and Johanna? Uh, human Combat Chess is usually more exciting spectacle than theater and more heady storytelling than sports, and it's cheaper than both of them. Go see it. Very true. Sold. <laughs> Sold right now. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Um, uh, to my lovely listeners of Fightcast, please uh, be patient as we get the podcast feed set up, and uh, hopefully we'll be uh, populating on iTunes like a real people. Uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, as they say on the, uh, as the I believe the motto of the uh, MCCL, control your center. Goodbye, buddy. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and conquer.